You're digging it. I like it. Yeah. Welcome to the Everything RBC Podcast. I'm David Costello. I'm joined by Amanda Keeper. And we continue our Faculty Musicians Week with a little kiss. <laughs> I don't want to turn it off. I know. I'm digging this new thing that we got going here. I like it a lot. Yeah. So our today's guest is a KISS fan, as you might have guessed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So our, uh, we're happy to be joined. Again, it's Faculty Musician Week. We had Jim Conley on earlier this week, and we talked about the drums and all of his musical talents. And today we are joined by Professor Dr. Michael Youngblood. Hello, Michael. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks for having me. Thanks yes. for being here. Yeah, this is great. Um, so yeah, you said you were into KISS back in the day. Oh, back in the day, yeah, when you were a 13-year-old boy and you see these, like, comic book characters on stage with rockets flying out of their guitars, it's like, you know, what else do you want to do with your life? You want to be a rock star. I have to ask you, did you ever put the full makeup on? Uh, Actually, yeah, some friends of mine, uh, we (laughs) went to a Halloween party, and Mm -hmm. I went as Gene Simmons, and we actually won uh, an award for best costumes. Nice. Nice. Awesome. And I will say that I have seen retro pictures of you. You did have the long hair. I did. Oh. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Yes. Was that what drew your wife to you? Was that hair? <laughs> <laughs> no, actually, the way she tells it is um, we were in high school when we met, and I was reading a Stephen King book, which is, you know, Stephen King. It's like 800 pages. And mm-hmm. she's like, he reads. I want to, you know, I want to get to know him because yeah. he's a reader. So it was really, she claims it's because of Stephen King. Wow. Because so, you were intellectual, not because <laughs> you were yeah. a rock star. Huh? I don't know how intellectual Stephen King is. No, <laughs> I take that back. No, I take that back. He's one of my favorite authors. So, yeah. Yeah. What's your favorite of his of his books? Ooh, that's a tough one. Um, let's see, the favorite one? Probably The Shining. Yeah. It's, it's not like, you know, the Stanley, Stanley Kubrick movie. Right. But, uh, mm-hmm. but the book was great. I, I actually just read that uh, a couple of years ago because I'd heard the same thing. I'd only seen the movie, and I heard it was so different I wanted to mm-hmm. find out. It is very much, very, yeah, very different, so... Yeah. Well, we didn't. We don't want to start with the uh, the way we kind of flipped it there. We, we started did. kind of we started did. with the fun stuff instead of the RBC stuff. But yeah. it is called everything RBC. So we do want to mm-hmm. talk about your career here, and uh, you've been here a long time. Why don't you give us a little bit of your background and how you ended up at Rock Valley? How long you've been here? What you teach and oh, all that. How I ended up at Rock Valley? It's kind of a long uh, story, and it involves uh, a recession and a car accident. <laughs> so I will give you the, the kind of the shortest version I can, but. Um, when I grew up, I grew up in the Quad City area, and back in mm-hmm. the late 70s, early 80s, it was very industrialized, like Rockford was back at, uh, at that time. Sure. And generally what people did is they graduated from high school and got a job at a manufacturing firm, and you stayed there for 30 years. And that's mm-hmm. what my dad's generation did, and that's what was expected. Mm-hmm. But I graduated from high school in 1981, right, when there was a very serious recession, and the unemployment rate in the Quad Cities reached like, around 21%, and there were just no jobs to be had in mm-hmm. those areas. Mm-hmm. So I knew I had to try something else, and I thought, you know, I'm gonna try this college thing that I didn't know a lot about because I was a first-generation college student. So I enrolled in a community college, Blackhawk College, and I had um, some of the best professors I've ever had there. And um, I wanted to major in physics. I've always had kind of a geek gene. I've always liked science, I've liked math. Mm-hmm. But then I took an economics class, and I'm like, well, this is even better because it's the scientific method, It's mathy, mm-hmm. but you're dealing with understanding human behavior and how to improve well-being and welfare for people. I thought this is, this is much more interesting. So then I transferred to NIU, uh, majoring in economics and, of course, minoring in math, 
And uh, in my last semester there, one of my professors asked me, do you want to stick around and get a master's degree? I'm like, I don't know. What is a master's degree? <laughs> and uh, they, you, know, they would, you know, we talked about it. And he said, and then uh, we'll pay you. And I'm like, you're going to pay me to go to college? Well, yeah. Sure. Yes. So, uh, so uh, I became a graduate student at NIU. And I was a research assistant for a professor who taught a class in mathematical economics. And one semester he had a very serious car accident, and he had to take the next semester off, and he asked me to teach his class for him. It's the first time I ever taught, and I just I got hooked on it. Hmm. I just unfortunately he recovered, mm-hmm. you know, from the car accident. Mm-hmm. Um, but then after that, after I graduated with a master's degree, I ended up at Sunstrand Aviation, which is what it was called back in the day here in the Rockford area. And in fact, I worked uh, right next to Chuck Seacott, who teaches economics here. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were both uh, business economists for them. And uh, he uh, applied for a job opening here in, uh, what would that have been, the spring of 90? And then uh, there was another opening in the fall of 1990, mm-hmm. and that's when I got my job here. So that's awesome. kind of how I ended up here. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I had no idea. All yeah. new information to me. <laughs> yeah, I knew you guys started around the same time, and you've both been here a long time, but I did not know that. So. No. So yeah. a couple of things that I'd like to dive deeper in. You said you had some amazing professors at your community college. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about one that had a major impact on your life? Uh, sure. I think, um, well, number one, my econ professor back mm-hmm. then, um, had, he got me interested very much in the subject. But probably one of my favorite professors was uh, the philosophy professor, Dr. Uh, Dr. Rexroth, mm-hmm. who uh, taught out of primary sources. I mean, you had to read um, primary sources. And the class discussions were great. Mm-hmm. And then we had uh, essay exams in those infamous blue books, you know, and you would yes. fill two or three yeah. of those. Yes. Yeah. And he always gave me a 97 for every exam. <laughs> and so finally I went to his office and I go, Professor Rexroth, why do you always give me a 97? And his, mm-hmm. his answer was, if I give you a 100, you'll stop trying. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, that's, you know, and that's where I learned what I think are some of my better habits mm-hmm. as a professor from the, the community college professors that I had. Mm-hmm. So how many 97s do you dole out? <laughs> <sighs> I don't know. My class tends to be bimodal. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Sure, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So. so you were a first-generation college student. Mm-hmm. What was it like for you to go to college and come home on the weekends and talk to your family about college? Well, my college experience was very different. Um, my, uh, my wife and I had our first child as I was getting ready to go to NIU. And uh, because of the job situation in the Quad Cities, we made the decision that she would stay in the Quad Cities and live with her parents. Mm-hmm. And I would go to NIU to get my degree. And um, I would come back every weekend because, you know, my wife and son were there. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, th- th- so it was a kind of a challenge. And there were, you know, there were times, you know, when my dad would be paying for tuition. He's like, why do you need to take an anthropology <laughs> class, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, you have to kind of explain, you yeah. know, gen eds, you know, sure, you want to study your major, but you want to be well-rounded, too. So, right. Right. so it was really that, because, you know, um, even my father-in-law would ask questions, you know, mm-hmm. why, why do you have to take this English class? If You know, my, my wife went into accounting, so it was always, uh, why do you have to take the English class if, if you're going into accounting? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I was always just trying to explain well, yeah, and that like makes that. sense because if you are from a, a family that did not go to school and they have no, no uh, framework yeah. in which to, you know, take in the information, that that sounds like it's a realistic, good question. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. So we've, yeah. we've heard from a couple instructors on here about their first time in the classroom. And you, you said you fell in love with it immediately, but uh, the theme with, with them was, when I look back now, it was kind of a nightmare, and I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. And can you talk about your first time, what it was like, and how you've evolved? 
Oh, well, how I've evolved. Well, got to remember, I started in 1990, so my first class experience was a yellow legal pad with handwritten notes, which I wrote directly on a thing called a chalkboard, <laughs> a piece of chalk. <laughs> I remember those. Um, I remember those. And it was the very definition of chalk and talk. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and actually, questions from students would terrify me back mm. then because, you know, it was basically read the book, make your notes, put the notes on the board, and hope your students copy their notes down. Uh-huh. Um, but over time... I'm still a lecturer. I like to lecture. I like to talk to students, but my my approach has changed where I don't like to lecture from the book because now we have these options where you can give them short videos that they can watch before class Mm -hmm. so they're familiar with the material. And um, I like to lecture kind of around the book material and bring in a lot of examples, preferably from their real life, Mm -hmm. that uh, that they can relate to. Yes. Yeah, and I think the students appreciate that. Yeah. So thinking back to the beginning of your career and the things that you focused on in your teaching, how, have, how has the content changed? Oh, the content, the content changes all of the time because economics, well, what's relevant in economics changes with economic situations. Mm-hmm. You know, when I first started, the major concern was recessions. Mm-hmm. So we taught a lot about what causes recessions and, you know, what are the consequences of reces- recessions and all these different theories. Um, but then those kind of went away and economies tended to grow over time. So growth became a topic in macro. Mm-hmm. And of course, now we're all back to explaining unemployment and mm-hmm. recessions and economic downturns. Yeah. And in, um, in microeconomics, we're paying a lot more attention to things like um, environmental economics, things mm. like pollution and um, you know, we just changed directions. I think it's become much more topical and a little less just pure, purely theoretical. But it changes really with whatever happens to be the current economic situation. Yeah, I think yeah. that's really interesting because in having conversations with younger people, it seems like they're really trying to specialize. So when you bring up environmental economics, what would a student who majors in that, what would they be doing for their company? Like, give us an example. Well, like... In my class, environmental economics would be one chapter, but you can get a degree in that, and then you work for a. Um, I'm trying to think. What would you? With the, you could work for the EPA, the Environmental mm-hmm. Protection Agency. Mm-hmm. There are lots of government agencies that employ economists. In fact, mm-hmm. outside of uh, academics, the government is the leading employer of economists. Okay. So uh, yeah, they work for environmental companies, and uh, like um, and what I'm trying to think about here, like uh, reclamation companies, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. anything involved with uh, with environment, anything involved with global warming, mm-hmm. uh, think tanks that study mm-hmm. things like carbon taxes and so forth. I don't want to get too wonky, but sure. you know, yeah. there are other things that... Yeah, no, I, I think that's interesting to, to hear some of the, yeah. the topics that people would be studying for economics. Like, right. I've noticed that there's a lot of, there's a huge push on buying products that are environmentally friendly. And mm-hmm. do you look at, <clears throat> excuse me, do you look at what the cost is of producing those products to somebody who's an entrepreneur compared to if they got products you know, that, that didn't look at those types of concerns? Well, you look at cost, um, but I think a lot of that, you know, that kind of conscientiousness is driven really by buyers like you and I. You know, mm-hmm. we're more, more becoming more conscious of the things that we uh, that we buy. In fact, I feel bad because I brought a plastic bottle of water <laughs> with me. Usually, I have my stainless steel water bottle with mm-hmm. me, mm-hmm. but you know, we have become more conscious that way. And it's really it's, it's the role of business to kind of meet that demand mm-hmm. that um, that people have mm-hmm. these days. Mm-hmm. What are some real world lessons you talked about that that you've brought into your classes that you're especially proud of or you thought were kind of innovative or creative? 
Oh, real world examples. That's oh, that's a tough one because every day I drive in, I listen to uh, the I listen to financial news, and I bring mm -hmm. things in. But uh, I try to get examples that the college age students will will relate to because you know it's not yeah. like they haven't maybe had a career, they have a career change, they haven't bought a house yet or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So we, we will be covering something like um, the free rider problem, and normally you would use government. Uh, as an example, like national defense, because it, it works this way. Mm -hmm. I don't have to pay for national defense because Dave will pay for it and I'll be protected. Mm -hmm. But Dave says he doesn't have to pay for national defense because Amanda will pay for it and he'll be protected. And so none of us has an individual mm -hmm. uh, incentive to pay for national defense, so the government taxes us. That's the standard textbooks, you know, you know explanation. Okay. And then I ask students, have you ever experienced the free rider problem? And they're like, no. And I go, have you ever done a group project in a class? <laughs> mm. You see, yep. now you get it, right? And all of a sudden, yes. that's the exact, that's the same response mm -hmm. I get from them. I'm always trying to get them mm -hmm. to think about, you know, yeah, there, you, you do see this stuff all the time, and not necessarily always in places you think about it. And it doesn't have to be something from the pages of Wall Street Journal, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. I like to bring in uh, television shows, you know. Mm -hmm. I like to teach uh, game theory using Breaking Bad, and oh, they nice. seem to, uh, to appreciate things like that. Oh, say mm -hmm. more about that. <laughs> Say more about that. <laughs> Say more things about Breaking Bad. And, and game theory. Yeah. Oh, game theory. Game theory. And now you're asking me to get way down in the weeds again. But this, <laughs> this is where my geek gene comes in, I guess. But game theory is a branch of math that we use to study what we call um, interrelated decision making. Okay. It's called game theory because, like, if you're playing chess, your move depends on what you think the other person is going to do, you mm -hmm. know. So mm -hmm. we, we explain that. But there's something in uh, game theory called the prisoner's dilemma. And it's where when both people um, are pursuing their self-interest, they actually make themselves worse off. And so I illustrate this with an example from Breaking Bad where Walt is working with another drug dealer and they're talking about whether to raise the price or lower the price of their drug. Mm -hmm. They'd be better off if they raise, but the incentive is to lower it. And so when we start talking about, well, how would you enforce like a contract in that situation? Mm. And then you can start talking about how... Um, how drug-related violence is really a form of contract enforcement because they can't have legal contracts because they're doing something illegal. So, right. mm -hmm. And I think, you know, I don't think my students are drug dealers, don't get me wrong, but they, <laughs> they know these shows and they, right, exactly. know, and they, can, yeah. they can relate to that. So. No, I love that. I think yeah. that's oh, yeah. fascinating. Exactly. And then do you show a couple clips before you talk about it? I've shown some. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, there's another part that... Uh, I've been thinking about showing, but it's kind of creepy. One of the biggest things in, uh, we teach in economics is called cost-benefit analysis. That's right. that, at the fundamental level, that's how we make decisions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If the benefit of going, taking an economics class exceeds the cost, I'll take an economics class. Yeah. Well, there's a part in Breaking Bad where Walt has uh, a prisoner in his basement, yes. mm -hmm. and he's got a legal pad, and he's got a line down the middle. Reasons to kill him, reasons right. not to kill yeah. him. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. that's cost-benefit analysis. Mm -hmm. But, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, that might be a little too much to bring into the classroom. But It's a little heavy. No, but I, I like yeah. it. And, and it reminds me there's related fields. I teach yeah. interpersonal communication, and we do cost-benefit mm -hmm. analysis, right? What are the benefits of staying engaged in this relationship mm -hmm. versus the cost? Mm -hmm. So I think you can you can apply that in a lot of different scenarios. Yeah, that's funny because I use divorce as an example <laughs> in my class. You know, mm -hmm. it's when you know the benefits no longer exceed the cost. That's mm -hmm. when I, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and then you could go and talk about you know the the cost of the kids and, and right. trickle mm -hmm. down that like what did you call it game theory like mm -hmm. trickle that scenario yeah. down. Uh, that's fascinating. I mm. love that example. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that you, uh, I, I imagine it's interesting for you that, like you said, 
it changes all the time. So mm-hmm. your job kind of changes and what you teach and how the approach, your approach to teaching is going to change depending on what's going on yeah. in the world. And that, that keeps things fresh for you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of keeping things fresh, I guess, like, uh, we have to ask everybody in this situation, how has it been different for you uh, under COVID? How has teaching changed for you? What sorts of things maybe are you bringing to the online environment that you're proud of? Or? Um, it's changed a lot for me because, like I mentioned earlier, I really – I like to lecture and I like to interact with students um, and I like spontaneity because when you give them an example then they then they start having questions and you know you can dialogue and that's what I like to do I don't like to read powerpoints but I put stuff up on the powerpoint and talk about what's up there and try to engage students that way Um, and that's really hard to do because now you know what do you do you do a voiceover of your powerpoint you put it on YouTube and you know so the information is out there but there's not that kind of interaction but uh, but that's you know kind of what I'm trying to do now is just do more videos for my students and try to give those those examples out to them that I would normally use in the classroom, mm-hmm. and that to me is probably the biggest challenge is just trying to get that information out to my students. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it helps knowing that they're also in a new modality as right. well, and so I, right. I try kind of you know we're in this together. I need some grace. I know you need some grace, and we'll get through this, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, So I'm curious because I come at this from a novice perspective, and I I would like you to share with listeners in 2020, what are some economic issues that we should all be aware of? Oh, from what perspective? I think um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at this because there's the headline things like – the unemployment rate that, you know, the big uh, increase in unemployment that we saw in uh, March and April in particular. Mm -hmm. And people can relate to that because they all relate to their, you know, to their jobs. But I think um, from the economics perspective, one of the things that we are most concerned about right now is inequality Mm -hmm. because the coronavirus has not impacted people equally. Mm -hmm. Um, There are people like myself who are fortunate to still be able to work at home. Um, But there are a lot of people, particularly in the service industry, who, you know, they're no longer working. And don't know whether they'll be back to work. So from an economics perspective, that's one of the biggest concerns that we have right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That even as the economy grows, like even today, you know, the economy is shown to grow at 33%. And, you know, I teach that to my sense. I mean, you're never going to see these numbers again, hopefully, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, because mm-hmm. that's 10 times greater than what we're used to seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, but not everybody is being um, – not everybody's rising with that growth of the economy, and mm-hmm. that's the biggest concern we have in economics right now. Is that a whole mm-hmm. segment that you could specialize in for econ, is to go into um, race and inequality and economics? Do they have master's programs on that and that depth? <clears throat> Not so much master's programs, but there are certainly economists who specialize in those research areas. Okay. And it's very, you know, it's very popular right now. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, it's it's... It's a huge concern in um, economics. In fact, uh, I'm a member of an organization called the American Economics Association. It's the biggest economics association in the world. And over the last year, they have done a complete self-study about the, the, the treatment of women and um, minority races mm-hmm. in the discipline of economics. Because there was a point in time where about 80% of PhDs went to white males. Wow. <laughs> and so, you know, that's... That's a problem. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you realize, well, if 80% of the PhDs go to white males, well, who's teaching these, mm-hmm. the new students? White yeah. males. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, right. th- they become the role model, so to speak. And mm-hmm. so I know that the, the, the discipline is working very hard to yeah. overcome that yeah. kind of situation. So when you, just so you know, I find all of this really, really stimulating. When you started your career, 
what is your goal for students? Like, what is a good day for you? If they leave the room, what? If they, if they leave the room with questions, actually, I like it better when they don't leave the room, when they stick around, ask mm -hmm. questions. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, I like it when they laugh at least once <laughs> in a classroom. Mm -hmm. But I think more than anything, I, just, I, I like it when you, you can see that, that kind of that light bulb going yeah. off mm -hmm. and that, you know, that you've reached them with some kind of example or some idea. And I think that's, mm -hmm. that's probably what I'm looking for, just some recognition that they got something out of the class. Mm -hmm. And so are you trying to change individuals or are you trying to change cultures or organizations? Or do you even, what do you think about those types of issues? It's, it's hard when, to think about those issues, I think, when you're teaching an introductory economics class because you're touching on so many things. In fact, on the first day of class, what I tell my students is I feel that as their econ prof, teaching them a principles class, that my job is to teach them how to think, mm -hmm. not what to think. Mm -hmm. Because I've had some professors in the past who would try to teach us what to think, and they would say things like, you know, that idiot in, that white, in the White House or those morons in Congress, and all of a sudden you're like, well, am I learning, on, you know, am I being taught from an unbiased perspective or a biased perspective? And yeah. so I'm more, I, I like to, to think about giving them tools that they can use then to think about those bigger issues yes. like that. Yes, I love that. I, I think that's a pervasive problem in our culture. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, per, it's persuasive just choosing a textbook. Right. It's persuasive just choosing right. an article that we present to our students. And I appreciate that perspective. Mm -hmm. Is there any one moment or thing that you're the most proud of in your time? Here at RVC. Oh, sure. Winning We're Faculty of the Year. Yay. Yeah. yeah. What, year, what year was that? 2012, I think it was. Okay. Yeah. How long had you been teaching? Do you remember? Well, that would have been 22 years. Mm -hmm. So yeah. your 22nd year. And how long have you been here? This is my 30th year. 30 years. Yeah. And your 22nd year, you won Faculty of mm -hmm. the Year. So tell us why that was so important for you. Well, and it's important to me because we have a great faculty here, and to be chosen as faculty of the year among the outstanding mm -hmm. faculty, I can't think of any better, you know, any better reward for yeah. the work that we do here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sitting with two faculty of the year award winners here. Boy, aren't I lucky? Aren't <laughs> and I lucky? we're and we're sitting with an <laughs> employee of the year, right? Well, yes. <laughs> Boy, just the egos in this room right now. I tell you. So, you have had a 30-year um, experience here and you have played a lot of different roles. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about some of the other roles that you have played? Oh uh, sure. I've been a department chair which I enjoyed quite a bit. I was a director for a while which was a position and I didn't really understand at that time because it was a new <laughs> role that and we they were trying to like shrink down this, the layers of administration so I had like 93 people that reported to me hmm. and so that lasted like a year. I was like no, thank you. What were you director of? Uh, basically, liberal arts. Okay. Any, any other college at any other time would have called it a dean position. Gotcha. Okay. But yeah. Okay. okay. But at the president we had at that time wanted more business-related titles, mm -hmm. so okay. it was that. And I, and I have been a dean over uh, areas before, and I've served as uh, president of the faculty. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. yeah, I've tried to do a lot of things mm -hmm. in my career here. And and if you think back on all of those different experiences like what did you get out of those positions would you recommend that an employee if you were talking to a new person fresh out of grad school like you were and they have their first job would you recommend them to to try out those different roles i, I would recommend that they go through it in the in the 
order that I did. I mean, you should start, you know, with uh, being a department chair and see how you like working with uh, people. Because I'll be honest with you, that's one of the most challenging roles whenever you're in any type of management or leadership position. It's mm-hmm. people issues. People management. You know, it's not yeah. not meeting deadlines. That's not an issue. It's it's you know, it's working with people, and that's a good way to get, to get in there with with your colleagues that you have a common discipline mm-hmm. and work with them and see if you like that. And I would, I would recommend trying to do that. But, but for somebody brand new, I would recommend more committee work to, mm-hmm. sure. you know, to mm-hmm. interact with people first. So you've served on lots of committees, obviously. Mm-hmm. Can you give us an example of one that was very rewarding for you? A committee that was very rewarding. That's a tough, that's a tough question. Is that an oxymoron right there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, Trying to get a committee that was out. That was out. I'm trying to go through my list of committees that I've had in there because it's been a while since uh, I served. But um, I'm trying to think. I think you know I'm serving on academic council now, and I kind of like that because we get to deal with academic issues. And you know what else is there to do? Right. You know, with a mm-hmm. college, you know, the academic mm-hmm. level. So mm-hmm. you know, we bring um, issues that are relevant to students to. Uh, to that, and it's not just academics. You know, it's, it's a cross section of academics and administrators and other staff members. So uh, to me, I find that interesting because I, I like those kind of committees because you get a broad perspective yeah. of mm-hmm. what's going on in the college. And you feel like that kind of committee work um, and can, you know, is rewarding because it ultimately impacts the students. Right. And I think the other committees that I, I, that, I, that I think were important is I've served on a lot of hiring committees because mm-hmm. I think, you know, when it comes to an institution, any institution, the most important thing to do is hire well. Yes. So I really like to be on hiring committees. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yep, yeah, good answer. I agree. Very good answers. And I agree as well because when you serve on a committee that has people from all areas of the college, you get to mm-hmm. see from their lens. Right. I feel like sometimes we're only looking at it from our perspective and then you you yeah. join those, those teams and you're like, okay, well, actually what they're doing in student service services informs my mm-hmm. class right. and I could change this or tweak that and help them and then they can help me and yeah. it just uh, gives you a wider lens through which to see the right. environment that you're working in I yeah. just interviewed a person for a part-time today and, and that is so rewarding mm-hmm. is you learn so much if you open your ears and you start listening to your colleagues mm-hmm. they have so many cool ways of getting at the same content just right. in their unique um, innovative way mm-hmm. and I think we can learn from each other yeah that's another thing and we've heard some other professors uh, that we've had on here talk about uh, mentors or when they first started now now you and Chuck kind of came in at the same time so mm-hmm. did you have anybody that you could look to that was sort of a mentor when you started here mm-hmm. oh wow um, when I started here in the social science department there were a lot of great um, professors and Tony Alexander is one that I remember well, because I could always go to his office and talk about mm-hmm. teaching. And uh, Lloyd Olkey was another professor that I liked a lot because he was not afraid to do anything in the classroom. So, hmm. you know, I, I would say the whole Barb Friel was a great uh, influence. Norm Carney was probably one of the best influences because he was like the last Renaissance man that I ever knew. <laughs> he like knew everything. Uh-huh. And so... Uh, yeah, I, I was just fortunate to get hired in with that group. Uh, yeah. You know, it, mm-hmm. get hired in at that time with that group of faculty because they were great. Right. They were outstanding. Definitely mm-hmm. some names we've heard before. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Well, you have this brilliant uh, side about you that is the econ and the, the the science guy and the math guy, but then you also have this other really creative side. Let's dive into that a little bit, if yeah. you don't mind. Sure. So you're a musician. 
Um, I t tend to think of myself more as a guitar player. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Musician, you know, that, that means like uh, you probably know a lot more stuff than I do. But yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, I like to play mm -hmm. music. Yep. Okay, and when did you start playing the guitar? And how long have you uh, been driving your wife crazy with basement hmm. guitar riffs? Oh, wow. <laughs> I started playing seriously probably in about seventh grade. And actually was in my first band in middle school. Nice. Mm -hmm. And played in, in all the way through high school. Uh, all the weekend, uh, mm -hmm. you know, kid spots where you could go. Obviously, you couldn't play in bars or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I started dating my wife in high school. She's been on board with this, <laughs> for better or worse, ever mm -hmm. since. And, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's uh, it's interesting because somebody will ask, you know, why why do you, you know, how do you put up with Mike doing that? Why do you let him do it? And her response is, well, he's always done that. You know, yeah. that's, you know, he's done yeah. that since I've known him. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, it's been, it's been a long time. And I've played in bands for... Uh, I think the only time I really took a break from bands is when I was in when I was at NIU. Okay. And then, uh, and I came back uh, to the Rockford area in what 1986 and started playing in a band called Groovasaurus. And <laughs> I was uh, going to ask him some of the names. <laughs> Me too. And yeah. uh, I have been yeah. playing in bands. <laughs> I, I actually I quit playing a year ago simply because I had to uh, I had to have some surgery and I had to take some time off and then uh, I recovered. I started a band in my basement, and then the pandemic hit. So mm -hmm. I haven't been able to play in about a year. But yeah, it's so hard for musicians right now and yeah. for yeah. concert goers. I mean, I know you're grieving, David. Yeah, I am. Yeah. yeah. Poor thing. Although people, I was actually just talking to somebody who works uh, in my office, and she's going to a drive-in concert this weekend. That's oh. a thing now. My sister-in-law yeah. did it last weekend, too. Okay. I just so, saw yeah. an article where the Flaming Lips gave a concert where they were enclosed in plastic bubbles. <laughs> Everybody in the crowd was awesome. <laughs> it was like they were standing in these huge, clear beach balls. It's kind of uh, cool. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah. it make a great uh, music right. video. Right. As we say, yeah, visually, awesome. that'd be really yeah. cool. What were some other band names? Because I want to hear some of these other band names. Oh, let's see. All right. So we start with Grubasaur. Uh, I played for a long time in a band called Mr. Big Stuff, which was, uh, mm. I love that band. We had a horn section, so we did n almost nothing but Chicago music, which was great. <laughs> um, let's see, played in a band called Cookie and the Real Deal, which mm -hmm. was all funk and R&D. Played in a band called The Last Degree. Um, I'm sure I'm going to miss <laughs> one here or there. Um, the last band that I was in is called Primetime Live, and they'd been okay. around forever. Yeah. So. Mm -hmm. But the thing is with bands, though, I've been fortunate to... You know, when I was in a band, I'd be in that band for years. I mean, we I was always been, been with musicians that really gelled and, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. more, not a lot of internal strife or things like that. So, you know, bands usually last a long time. You yeah. don't have those horror stories like we hear. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you have The some. breakup stories. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Infighting and all that. Yeah. Uh -huh. Every yeah. good band has that behind-the-music story, don't they? About something that went wrong or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's probably more common to like big yeah. bands that travel together the a lot. Sure. Yeah. 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 And you're like living with people. Yeah. You're on the mm -hmm. bus and, uh, all yeah. the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you say so now you kind of play piano a little bit too. What what else do you play? Oh gosh, what do I have? I have ukuleles, I have mandolin, I have my basement is, looks pretty much like a, uh, a music store. Nice. Uh, but but uh, he doesn't call himself a musician. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> I have a little recording studio. Right, yeah. right. So, uh, no, it's like I said, I'm a guitar player. Um, I study music. I've been uh, studying some music composition lately because mm -hmm. I'd like to do that. But uh, no, it's, 
But I want to get to, the, you know, I really want to learn the piano, something that I've always wanted to do. And we're one of those families where you had a piano in the house forever and like mm -hmm. no one ever played it. Right. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. finally, last fall, I decided, okay, I'm going to take lessons here at Rock Valley. Mm -hmm. And I was taking lessons from Carol Ostrom, who's great. She's yeah. been to college for right. longer than I have. Right, right. And uh, she's one of my favorite instructors because she, was, she is so old school. And I mean that in the best possible way. Mm -hmm. She would ask me to form a chord and then she would take the the eraser end of a pencil and nudge my finger over like a sixteenth of an inch <laughs> and she said wow. it goes there and when she caught me looking at the keyboard she would put a notebook under my chin so I couldn't look down I mean, it was great I learned so much from her hmm. but then I only got about half the semester in because I had that surgery mm -hmm. so then I recovered and I t started again in January and then of course COVID oh, hit yeah. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then to, you know to me to make matters worse um, shortly after COVID hit, I got a call from Jack Simon, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. who I know Professor Conley talked about. He talked, uh, yeah. you know, Jack had taught music here forever. Yeah. And uh, he said, uh, he says, uh, Mike, he says, Mendelssohn Club downtown is moving to a new location and they have these pianos they need to get rid of. Hmm. And he knew my wife and I were in this market for a, uh, for a grand piano. And to make a long story short, we have this really nice grand piano sitting in our living room now, <laughs> and it's it's the type of instrument that just begs to be played. Mm. You know, right. you walk by it every mm -hmm. day, and mm -hmm. it just says, play me. So, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I still work on that, because I remember everything that, that Carol taught me. I mean, you, you can't not remember what she teaches you. So, uh, mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, so I still I practice as much as I can. That's mm -hmm. great. Yeah. So, give us an example of a place that you played, a gig, that you will never forget. Mm. Oh, we played a wedding. I think it was at the Lombardi Club, mm -hmm. and it was. It had to be August, and a storm had just gone through. It was a terrible storm downtown, knocked all the electricity out, and so they brought in all these generators, and we're playing, and you know, there's the bridal parties, all dancing, and all of this, and then the generators go out, <sighs> but they're still, you know, they're going to have this reception, and and I'm up on stage playing, and I look over and I see the wedding cake. And it's starting to tip because it's melting in the oh. heat, you know. Yeah. And so eventually the wedding, uh, the wedding cake fell on the floor. And <laughs> that wasn't what we played. I don't want to mention the names of the places because some of them are still in existence. But there are mm -hmm. some places where mm -hmm. uh, I would probably never play again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that poor couple. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah that was. Oh, we, we played a gig in Chicago. It was one of these. I don't, it's like a wedding factory. You know, they have mm -hmm. four weddings going on all at one time. Hmm. And we're up on stage playing, and one bride comes rushing in from one of the other rooms and starts a fist fight with the bride that we were playing for, and it's <laughs> all chaos broke loose. So, wow. yeah. so were you the band? I think I'm, I know the answer, but you played like the New Year's Eve gigs, uh, holiday oh, yeah. gigs, mm -hmm. all that stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so can mm -hmm. I ask a personal question? When you first started, what would make a good gig night was it like 50 bucks 20 bucks and then you know what's the best gig night oh the when i first started mm -hmm. a good gig night was having a gig <laughs> yeah right you know because you're young and you know you're not old enough to play you know in venues that would typically pay so we played at this uh high school spot called the wreck it was in the lower level of a y and it was a place you know it was a safe mm -hmm. place that you know high school students could go and uh, we played there all the time and one of the best gigs is um, we're playing a wedding. Weddings are always the best oh, gigs, yeah. Yeah. you know, because yeah. if, if a, just between us, yeah, no one's listening. If a bride wants you to play at yes. their wedding, they you know they'll pay. Yeah, yeah. right. But we were playing one, and uh, this guy comes up and he goes, "Do you know any? Uh, do you know any 
Ozzy Osbourne. And I'm mm-hmm. like, look at my hair. You know, <laughs> do I look like I know Ozzy? And there's a horn band on top of it. We're doing yeah. a lot of dance music. Yeah. And he goes, I'll tell you what, he goes, I'll, I'll give you a tip if you guys play some Ozzy. So I just played a solo uh-huh. from one of uh, Ozzy's songs. Mm-hmm. And he walks up and gives me a $100 bill and says, nice. thanks. Wow, for okay. that one I, I got more solos, you know. Right. I got more stuff I can play. I know more Ozzy. Yeah. I know more <laughs> stuff. Yeah. yeah, I'll play, I'll play Ozzy all night. <laughs> right. Play that whole catalog. Right. Oh, that's so fun. So you said you have a collection of guitars, too. Do you have anything, like, especially unique or any, like, from famous people or anything like that? Or do you Um, just kind of collect them over the years, the ones you've played? Yeah, I collect them over the years. And uh, I have the very first, uh, the one I have from high school and kind of going forward. Um, Do I have any collectibles? I've got a couple of custom ones. I've got... um, one, and not from famous people, but Rick Nielsen scratched it up. So I do have that going for it. Because mm. um, we were playing at uh, a wedding at Giovanni's, and he happened to be there. So, of course, when, mm-hmm. you know, when Rick Nielsen wants to play with the band, you let Rick Nielsen Absolutely. play with the band. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, we wouldn't pass up that opportunity. Um, but one of my favorite guitars actually is one I never play because uh, it's the one my wife got me for my 50th birthday. And uh, it's a white Fender Stratocaster for anybody out there who knows uh, guitars. Mm-hmm. And uh, she took it all around town and had all my friends sign it. Oh, cool. Oh, wow. So it's got a nice spot on the wall. Yeah. And, uh, mm-hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. That's very cool. Do you have a favorite guitarist or, or two? Favorite guitarist? Favorite guitarist, yeah. Oh, gosh, there's so many to choose from. I would ha- probably say the Stevie Ray Vaughan would be my favorite and most influential because I love Texas blues yeah. and I loved everything I that too. Stevie Ray Vaughan played. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Clapton, for similar reasons. Mm-hmm. Big Clapton fan. I really like what he's done with his career. He has aged really well. Yeah. You know, he has gone from being a rock god in the 60s to sitting down playing Delta Blues with an acoustic guitar, and mm-hmm. I think that's great. You know, it's not, you're not going to see Kiss or ACDC doing something like that. You know, he's matured right. really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are some other, I don't know, I guess, um, Joe Satriani is another one. Mm-hmm. And he's not necessarily real well-known outside the, the guitar world, but in 1986, he came out with an album called Surfing with the Alien. And his thought process was, well, I'm not just going to play lead guitar you know, and play these little leads on these songs. I'm just going to make an entire album with nothing but guitars. And hmm. that album just blew me away, and I've been a big fan ever since. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mm-hmm. Great. So when you, you, you are a very eclectic dude, <laughs> you also cook. Mm-hmm. Try to, yep. You, you try to cook, so we'll talk about that. How would your friends and family describe you, people that know you best? Oh, my God, I don't know. I should have asked him that before I got here. Um, I think they, they would say eclectic is probably beyond some of their vocabularies, but uh, <laughs> it would be something related to that. They're usually surprised, mm-hmm. you know. They're always like, well, how can you be an econ prof and play guitar at the same time? How does the, you know, they're... They're usually surprised by that, but um, I think that's the most reaction I ever get. Is yeah. that yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you have these images of what certain people with certain degrees right. will do. Right. So tell us about your cooking. I know you have several friends on campus, and you all share, you know, <laughs> ideas and a passion for this. So I've seen your work on Facebook. <laughs> I was hoping you would have listened to Jim Conley and then brought some food in for <laughs> us, but I didn't know I should do that right now. When, yeah. when all of this yeah. is over, eventually, we'll we do that. We can have a dinner. Yeah. Okay, sounds good. Done. But what do you, I know I know you cook a lot of different things, but where did the passion start? And tell us a little bit about that. Well, cooking's been a thing in our family really for a long time. My wife is a great cook. Mm-hmm. And like way back in the day, you know, she did the primary uh, cooking. But then as my kids got older, um, 
my uh, oldest son, Dane, actually kind of got into cooking. And he, mm -hmm. even before the Food Network came along, he would come into the living room and he'd say, give me three things, that, uh, three ingredients to make for dinner. <laughs> oh, awesome. <laughs> and then awesome. he would make dinner, and then we would sit at the table literally for hours. Mm -hmm. You know, talk about the food, talk about school, talk about all kinds of things. So it's, it's kind of been a big thing in our family. You know, mm -hmm. basically, since we've been a family. Mm -hmm. um, but then the kids, of course, grow up and move away. And, uh, you know, Teresa was doing a lot of the cooking. And I thought, well, you know, I should take on some of the responsibility. And then you start doing it. And you're like, well, this is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a different way to be creative yes. with things. Mm -hmm. So, huh. and then, uh, you know, it's, it's like music. Then you start collecting more stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then with more stuff, you want to do more things. And, mm -hmm. and you can get creative and, and play around with recipes right. the same way you do with yep. music. And mm -hmm. I didn't know Dane invented chop. That's pretty cool. Does he <laughs> yeah, get, does he get uh, checks in the mail for that? Yeah. What would be your, let's say you're on the, uh, the Iron Chef where they have the secret ingredient. What would be the secret ingredient that you would want it to be if you were going to be on Iron Chef? Oh, for me? Yeah. So like, what would your ultimate, like, oh, I hope it's this. Or like, really Probably like, salmon. Salmon. Oh, yeah, because okay. okay. the thing with salmon is uh, it, it's, it's really just, uh, I'm going to sound like the Cooking Niche Network for a minute here, but it's, it's really just a flavor mm -hmm. carrier. You know, you can do so many things with salmon. Hmm. You can smoke it, you can blacken it, you can roast it in the oven, you can make blackened salmon, uh, blackened salmon uh, soup out of it. I mean, you can do anything mm -hmm. with salmon. Mm -hmm. So there's always a ton of that in our freezer because mm -hmm. something you pull out and make something very creative with very quickly. Interesting. Mm -hmm. That is interesting. Yeah. So I think we're ready for the campfire question. Yeah. Fire so, so one thing I've always respected about you, Mike, is your relationship with your wife. Mm -hmm. How old were you when you two started dating? Uh, 17 and 16. 17 and 16. So when, when people ask you this question, and I know that you've been asked this many times before, but, you know, what advice do you give to people about having a healthy relationship over the long term? Oh, what advice? Um... I think probably one of the biggest things to do is um, to listen, mm -hmm. you know, to listen uh, and take an interest. You know, um, I think that's been a, a important part of our relationship and, and just being respectful of uh, other people's decisions and other people's interests and other people's dreams. Mm -hmm. You know, you just mm -hmm. have to really care about wanting the other person to be happy. Mm -hmm. And that's, mm -hmm. to me, if we can do that, then... Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that was a beautiful answer because yeah. a lot of people, when they're in long-term relationships, they become uninteresting to, yeah. to each other. And then that's where, you know, you start feeling unappreciated mm -hmm. and unseen. So when you're listening and you're curious. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's like even in our relationship, that's where cooking plays a role because, mm -hmm. there, you know, you've got something in common. Yes. And it changes over time. So it's always interesting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, having a common interest, I think, goes a long way. Mm-hmm. Have yeah. the two of you done any of those cooking classes? Like, I know they have some in Chicago and different mm. parts of... No, we were going to. We had been to a place up in uh, up in Madison that had just opened, and it was one of those olive oil specialty stores. Mm -hmm. And uh, they were going to start classes, and then getting COVID hit. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> How many times have we heard that? I know. <laughs> yeah. I am not going to title uh, your podcast, yeah. Then COVID Hit. Then COVID Hit. Man, it's yeah. not just you. I wish I had a dollar for every time I've heard yeah. it in the last however many months. Yeah. But. Uh, we, we actually went to some, my wife and I went to the Lake Geneva School of Cooking, Ooh. and that was a lot of fun. So yeah. you're there with, there's like a group of maybe like a dozen people, so a bunch of couples or whatever, groups or whatever, and, and they just, you have three different dishes, so you get assigned either the, 
the appetizer, the main dish, or the dessert, okay. and you cook it. They show you how to cook it, then you cook it, and then you all eat the nice. three courses. It's yeah. pretty fun. So. Well, we used to get together in friends, well, with friends and do that, and particularly mm-hmm. Patrick and Melissa's grew because Patrick, mm-hmm. he outcooks everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. he could have his own food blog. So if you ever want to really talk cooking, get Patrick on here because mm-hmm. that's what he does. So. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well. So we have two other questions we'd like you to select. <sighs> this part scares me. You know, <laughs> We have quite you didn't a few. reload the bag, did you? I didn't, and I thought, I don't want to reload the bag oh, until okay. those questions are exhausted. exhausted. These are very introspective questions, though. Yes. You're going to find out Shallow is not just the name of a song. <laughs> <laughs> now I have to read these. What's something you know you do differently than most people? That I do differently than most people. Well, I'm trying really hard to think about that. What do I do? Uh, are you talking about a process differently or just something different from what other people do? However you interpret the question. I just, uh, differently than other people, I just, I just go back to the idea of let's just playing a lot of different music um, mm-hmm. than other people do. And, and if, if I can just p- kind of piggyback on that for a minute, I wish more people would explore things like that because, mm-hmm. you know, things like, uh, you know, because we'll hear, oh, I can't do that or it's too late for me to do that. And it's not. I mean, mm-hmm. I think... Uh, if you want to do something different, do it because it's 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 never too late to learn anything. Like I said, I've been reading these books on music composition, and even though they're about music composition, they give great great advice. Like if if you want to write a song, you have to get your ego out of the way so it doesn't control your actions, and it does you know so that you can explore your vulnerabilities. I think that's great life lesson, not yes. just a you know a music writing lesson. But mm-hmm. yeah, I would encourage you know people to do things differently, mm-hmm. and and be okay with that. Yeah, so. speaking of writing a song and lyrics, did you ever sit around with your friends and one person would say a lyric and the next person would say a lyric and then you would put it together in a, mm. in a rhythm? Uh, yeah, but I probably can't say any of those lyrics <laughs> in the <laughs> podcast. But um, I wanted to ask that, though, too. Did you write songs or did you mostly do covers when you did? We mostly did covers. Yeah. Um, I was in a band uh, back in the day. We did a, a, a CD with some of our own originals on it, but... Mm. Th- what we, my experience is that the, the Rockford market doesn't, they, they like to hear yes, what they know. And there's know. nothing wrong with that. And so I'm not trying to be right. judgmental. And so, you know, you give folks what they want to hear. Yeah, and, yeah. You're you right. Know. You're very You're right. You're very right. Yep. How do you know when it's time to continue holding on or time to let go? Cost-benefit analysis. Ooh, Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. Right Look there. how he brought it back. Yeah, yes. So, I like it. No, I think yes. that's the thing because... Um, you always have to ask yourself, you know, is, is something worth it? Because in economics, we have this concept called opportunity cost. If I'm doing one thing, I can't be doing another thing. Mm-hmm. And when something becomes too costly in terms of other things you'd like to do, mm-hmm. um, you know, if it's not, it's not like you can't go, well, you know what, I'm not going to work anymore because I want to play the piano. But mm-hmm. if there's something else that you can shed to pursue an, something else you're interested in, mm-hmm. then that's the time to do it. Mm-hmm. So, Mike, you are one of the most well-respected faculty members on campus. And... I have so admired you and appreciated you over the years. What have been the benefits for you over your 30 years of teaching at Rock Valley College? Well, well, first and foremost, it's just getting to know a lot of great people all around campus. Like I said, in my positions as chair and, and dean, faculty president, I got to meet basically everybody. And so I really, um, I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the fact that... Um, even though we sometimes don't always understand other groups on campus, we all have the same 
objective. Yeah. We all want to do what's best for students, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's been it. And I so I think there are times when you know you've made a difference because you get that email that um, and says, hey, I, I got one email that I loved where a student said, thanks for being so tough on me because now, you know, I'm taking econ at this university and I'm doing really well. Mm -hmm. And then I had a, oh, another time when I was teaching down at NIU uh, as an adjunct and I was in the hallway and one of my former students from Rock Valley came up and he said, you, you gave that example about guitars on the board. He goes, I remember that to this mm -hmm. day. And yeah. those are the things that, mm -hmm. uh, that I think are the most rewarding. Yeah. It's having an impact. Yeah. 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 Yeah, you've definitely had an impact and you know, I appreciate you and I have crossed paths over the years and, and whatnot, but I've never really had a chance like this to really get sit down and talk to you and get to know you. And that's kind of a shame. I'm kind of you know, I'm embarrassed to say that that I haven't gotten to know you better until just now. But it's been great um talking to you. Oh, it's and, been a lot of fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here and and for everything you do and have done for so many years here. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much right. for coming in today. Thanks again for having yeah. me. Appreciate yes. it. It's great to have you. I saw you right. feverishly writing over there a few times. Uh, didn't, were you writing down episode titles? Yes, I, I was. I know that's your thing. <laughs> You're like, I, I had a couple pop out at me too. Well, mm -hmm. Maybe we got a couple of the same ones. All right. Well, let's go with you first because I always start. Well, I thought one one thing that would be cool because it would theme with with gyms and mm -hmm. it would be a number would be to call it ninety seven. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. Okay. But I also saw you writing down when he was talking about the band names, so I'm guessing you wrote down Mr. Big Stuff. I, uh, well, I was thinking from Gro Groovasaurus, <laughs> from Groovasaurus <laughs> to the Big Stuff. <laughs> well, uh, um, you know what? I think since Mike's still in here, yeah. um, which one would you prefer? Oh, yeah. You get to choose. And I have a third. What's your third? It's like choose your own adventure. My third is called Surfing with the Aliens as your title. I had that one too. That oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. So. Because I think that you, I, I called you eclectic, mm -hmm. and I think that you have this really unexpected depth to you. <laughs> not, not that people yeah. think you're shallow by any, any sure. means, but you just have this depth to you, and I like that this title is so eclectic, surfing yeah. with the aliens. Yeah. So can we go with that one? Sure. Yeah, yeah and I all like right. titles all like right. that. They're going to make people intrigued. Like, what yeah. is that, what is that yeah. all about? Yeah. But that's kind of what I was trying to get at is, yeah, you're a very interesting. We, we, we said goodbye to him, and now we're talking to him <laughs> again. Uh, you're a very interesting person who I, you know, I never got to know you that way. Yeah. So it was really cool to get to know you that exactly. way. Exactly. And I think one. surfing yeah. with the aliens is super interesting and yeah. memorable. Like, Mike is super interesting and memorable. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I love it. That's yeah. good. Yeah, yeah, but Mike well, what did you learn today? That uh, what about? I what I you know I think cost benefit analysis yeah. will will stick in my head again, and I think I remember that from his class in the '90s mm -hmm. when I took a class here, because it's so relevant to so many different like challenges in your mm -hmm. life, right? And so I think every single person that's listening can relate to that and yeah. think about that in, on a personal level. Yeah, agree. That's an, that's a lesson everyone can apply to their yeah. own lives. I also really, really appreciated how Mike uses relevant examples in his mm -hmm. class. Yes. And is yes. thinking about on his way to work, listening to whatever news source he's listening to and then trying to figure out, well, how can I make that something that is a memorable example so that they actually see the connections between this content in a textbook and my own personal experience. Yeah, agreed. I, any classes I had where the professor was able to do that were the mm -hmm. most engaging. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, mm -hmm. and, and yeah, the fact that 
it is probably interesting for him to mm-hmm. be able to have a job like that where it's not the same. You know, every semester might be different. Right. Depending on what's going on in the world, you've got a different mm-hmm. lesson to mm-hmm. teach uh, your mm-hmm. students. So, yeah. And just his character as a person, I think that to work at a company or, or an organization for 30 years and have you know, just committed himself to jumping in and being inside the arena, not sitting on the sidelines and Mm -hmm. watching other people do the work, but doing the work and doing it well and doing it with integrity and doing it in a way that he still has maintained very strong relationships without cutting ties with people. He shows emotional intelligence in his work life and in his um, private life when he talks about the the idea of listening well and staying mm-hmm. curious, staying curious in your home life and your work life, yeah. I think are um, those are ways to stay successful in life right. and, and have a rewarding life and a meaningful life. Yep. It's been a lot of fun uh, getting to know uh, these people. I and mean, this is what we wanted the show to be, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To, to be able to kind of dig in depth a little bit to some of these people that you walk by. Every, Every day. day, or like I said with Mike, that I've known a long time, and we've crossed paths over the years, but didn't really know him, mm-hmm. and, and so that's what we're hoping we can bring with the show. So. Absolutely. So yeah, I appreciate that. Speaking of the show, so I wanted to uh, have a little fun with you next okay. week. I don't want to put you on the spot now, Okay. so you can think about this, and okay. ne- next week we'll talk. I get, I get weird. You're going to learn about me. I get weird ideas, and I get them at weird times. Sometimes. Please tell me it's not about science fiction. Anything no, 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 no. It's, okay, it's all you. about the show. Okay. It's about okay. the show. Right. So I was thinking it would be fun for you and I to come up with uh, three episodes that we think would be fun to do that would just be me and you talking. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's around a theme or whatever. So it's mm-hmm. not guest-driven necessarily. Mm-hmm. And then for the fun part, three episode ideas that you think would just be absolutely terrible ideas. Okay. <laughs> okay. I won't give you an example because I've got my three locked in already. But just for fun. Okay. So you want me to come back next week yes. with three great topics that just the two of us could talk about. Right. And three horrible topics. Yes. Three just three like this, these would just be about. bad ideas for an episode. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I think that, that sounds fun. Be fun to talk about. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. that's your that's your uh, goal for next week. Yeah. So you next know what? W- speaking of goals, and and I woke up at like three o'clock in the morning thinking yeah. about this, and I'm so glad Mike is still sitting here because I wanted to do this with so many guests, and I keep forgetting until you just said that. Okay. I think one of the things that would be really really cool is to ask each guest mm-hmm. who's one person on campus that we should get to know. Oh, okay. Because I think that it would be a way for us to have a ripple effect to being curious about people. So Mike, who is one person on campus that you would say, hey, go go say hi to that person, learn mm-hmm. more about that person? You realize when I give one name, mm-hmm. I'm gonna alienate a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So you really put me on the spot here. Yep. You did, we did, um, she did. But one person I think um, people would really like to get to know better is uh, Paul Gunzel. Oh, okay. I've yeah. asked him twice already to be on the podcast. So. Mike, I'll, can, yeah. can you put I'll message it, him. Can you can you message him? Put in a word. Absolutely, I, I, I agree, hundred percent. Okay. All right. Is there a reason why? Oh, he's he's a riot. He he's bright. He's interested mm-hmm. in a lot of things. He he plays music. Well, he plays piano in an improv group, and oh. so yeah. I mean, so he's got some really interesting things going on. Yeah, and we have some talented people yes, here. Yes, we do. I feel and so see, inadequate. that's why that's why I'd like to keep asking this question. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that we can we could form a band and we could have our cook off. In fact, it could be one <laughs> event because you could have music oh. and cooking. <laughs> Hey, music and after food. After the COVID, we're having a party. That's our celebration. Right <laughs> yeah, there. music and food. 
Yeah. We'll call it after the COVID. <laughs> after the COVID. I love that. Oh, my God. That's a great idea. All right. So, so all right. and then one last thing before yeah. we, we take off today. Sure. I would like to, if it's okay with you, continuing to give some of our merch at every time we reach another 1,000 downloads. So, okay. we are we are approaching 2,000 downloads. Got so, it. I'd like to give away some free merch if all that's right. okay with you. Yeah, we'll do it. We'll give away some merch. So, yeah, it's been... Uh, a lot of fun today. We're going to send you out with some Stevie Ray because I love Stevie Me Ray going as well. So, Mike, thanks again for being here today. Thank you all for listening and supporting the podcast. It's been another good week. I'm David. She's Amanda. This has been Everything RVC. This is Stevie Ray. Stevie Ray.